1: Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Have you ever struggled to understand why boys do the things they do in groups? I know that as a mom, sometimes I will watch my boys interact in a group of boys, and um, I shake my head sometimes. And it underscores to me, again, I've never been a boy. I do not understand a lot of things about boy world. And I can be a great resource to my kids, but there are some things that maybe they would be better off learning some other perspectives as well. Today, we have with us Ryan Wexelblatt. He is a licensed clinical social worker, and he specializes in working with boys. He works with boys um, with ADHD, and he works with boys on teaching them social skills. Welcome, Ryan.
0: Thank you. I'm really happy to be here.
1: So teaching boys social skills, tell us what you mean by that.
0: Yeah. So I really kind of started off my career in the special education field, you know, working at schools. And, you know, one thing kind of led to another eventually. And really how I got into this was from my uh, my own son. I'll give you a little background. So I am a um, single dad. I adopted my son on, on my own. Sometimes people don't know what to make about that. But, you know, one of the things when I realized was when my son was struggling socially, I started looking around for different, you know, social skills groups, programs in the area area everything i found was really geared for kids with autism which my son does not have so i got interested in this subject and this is how i kind of took it in into my own hands and then realized you know this what i'm learning is so applicable to the population i work with which at the time was kids who you know with adhd as well as kids with what used to be called asperger syndrome i still say aspergers and higher verbal autism as i got more into this you know one of the things that i realized was my whole career i've been in you know a very female dominated field the whole idea of teaching social skills really evolved out of the speech language pathology world. Kids with ADHD just kind of got lumped into that, even though maybe, you know, they had different, you know, what I call social learning needs. So the other thing that I started to realize over time was all these boys who are the majority of individuals who receive help for social skills, they're being instructed by like 95% women who understandably were never part of a male peer group growing up. And one of the things I started learning was that a lot of these boys I was seeing who had been in social skills groups or received social skills instruction in school, they were learning social communication skills that weren't organic to the way boys their age spoke to each other. It was really overly formal. It was kind of a lot of scripted behavior. And, and really, you know, my thought in the back of my head was, wow, they're, they're being taught to speak like middle-aged women. And I would never say that because I thought that that felt, you know, that sounded horribly sexist. And one of my colleagues, who's a female one time, said to me, we need to stop teaching boys how to communicate like middle-aged women. And I felt like that kind of gave me permission. So now
1: you can say it. <laughs> yes, it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it justified me being open about
1: this. You bring up such an important point that I think a lot of us don't think think about but we sense on some level even as we're talking about how to help boys and girls treat each other more respectfully and you know communicate openly and address feelings all these things first of all we adults aren't there second of all boy culture is definitely not there yet so there there's how I may want my sons to treat their partners when they're in their 30s. And there's the reality of dealing with a group of you know, nine-year-old boys on the playground. Exactly. Yeah. Can you give me some examples how a 35-year-old woman response might be to something going on in the peer group versus what's more organic? How would this conversation go appropriately for a group of boys.
0: As as adults, right, we tend to have a more similar communication style, whereas with kids, like I'll just give you an example. So uh, there's what I call, you know, the male-male social communication template, which is really kind of the structure, right, of how males communicate with each other. Boys don't go up to other boys and say, you know, how are you doing? They go up and they interrupt a conversation, you know, or they just start talking about the subject they want to talk about. Boys also tend to not ask kind of broad-based experiential questions. They ask more specific questions. I'll give you an example. An example, you know, one of the things in social skills groups a lot, you know, I see kids, um, kids learn is, you know, to ask other boys, do you like video games? And really, that's not how boys communicate. Boys just would go up to another boy, say, you know, do you play Fortnite or do you you play Minecraft, right? So it's really, I think, in terms of the language, it's more direct and it's more specific. And it's without this kind of overly, you know, formal etiquette. And there also tends to be a lot less details involved.
1: How do you help boys, especially boys who, whether due to, uh, you know, a diagnosis or what they've learned, kind of struggle to read social cues, How do you help boys deal with groups of boys' tendency to speak in sarcasm and insult?
0: Two things with that. The first thing is, I don't want to teach kids, you know, I put in quotes, social skills. I want them to teach, I want to teach them how to be more relatable to their same age peers. Part of that, to your point, is learning kind of the back and forth of this social communication. What is often called roasting today, which is the back and forth insults, jabs, whatever you want to call them, you know, that's part of how boys often relate to each other. Not all boys, but a lot of boys. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, you know, I teach kids with that is if you want to be part of a peer group, you're going to have to learn to deal with that. And it's okay if you don't want to engage in it, but you have to learn how to deal with it and not personalize
1: it. And if anybody is listening and doesn't have experience with what that sounds like, I invite you to come to my house for dinner sometime (laughs) with three boys around the table. That's pretty much the level of conversation a lot of times. I think it can be hard, especially for female parents and female teachers. Uh, Sometimes we hear and see boys' interactions and they seem to us disrespectful and we feel like we need to intervene
0: you know, with that, I'll tell you, I, you know, this past year I started working with a boy who's 14 and, you know, his mother is one of several uh, sisters. And she said to me, you know, when I see him interact with other boys, it always sounds so mean. And I tell him, stop being mean. And she gave me some specifics and I said, what he is doing is okay. That is socially acceptable. That's the way boys relate to each other. And she said, I I never thought about that because he's my first son and I grew up around all sisters, you know. So I think one of the things that is important for moms to understand is that, you know, by trying to micromanage your son's, you know, social interactions, that's not going to be helpful. Number one, because most likely you weren't part of that male peer group growing up. And number two, because I think most boys don't necessarily want to hear how to engage with other boys from their mother. <laughs> you know, it, it starts to sound like lecturing. That's not to say that moms can't be helpful. Of course, they can be very helpful. You know, and I'm actually um, putting out an online course that's really directed to moms. And what it's about is not teaching this etiquette, but helping um, their sons learn how to think more in a social context. And one of the things we know is that when somebody struggles socially and doesn't read social cues, really what they struggle with, the foundation of this, it's a lack of perspective taking skills. So a lack of understanding others' thoughts and feelings and intentions sometimes and, a, and difficulty understanding how you come across to others. And that's kind of the, the root of, of what we call social learning challenges.
1: So what are some ways that you help boys develop that perspective-taking skill? That's a challenging skill and yes. is relevant in every context of life.
0: Every context. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things I always want to explain to parents is that this is not a fast process to learn this. I see a lot of middle schoolers. So, you know, I'll have a family come to me and they'll say, how long is this going to take? And what I explain to them is if your son hasn't learned social information intuitively in 12 years, if he's 12, you know, I can't teach this to him in three months. You know, this is a really slow learning process. Mm -hmm. So really what I do is I try to make this as concrete as possible because a lot of boys, you know, they are, they're visual learners. They like things to be more concrete. I don't make things abstract. So for instance, when we're teaching perspective taking skills, I use a strategy called a social behavior map that came out of the work that I did training in, which is called social thinking um, that's designed by Michelle Garcia-Winner. And the idea with the social behavior map, it looks a lot like cognitive behavior therapy in the sense that, you know, what we're looking at is, is your words or behavior expected or unexpected from the context of the situation? How did others respond to your behavior based on whether it was expected or unexpected based on the context of the situation, then, you know, and then how do you feel about how they respond to you based on this? So really what we're doing is we're kind of teaching a sequence of events here based on your words and your behavior.
1: So is there some imagining or role playing through a scenario and then kind of breaking it down and dissecting it to understand how that interaction went a little bit?
0: Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the things I, I see that is um, in social skills groups a lot, my personal opinion is most social skills groups are, are not helpful because a lot of them, they're, they, they're teaching these scripted behaviors or they're teaching these isolated skills, you know. Mm-hmm. And and really what you have to think about with role-playing is we can role-play social communication within a context of the situation. But for example, if you're trying to teach a greeting, for instance, right, you can't role-play a greeting because all social skills are context dependent, right? Yeah depends on the who what where when why how. So if we're just teaching, you know, say hello, then what happens is you say hello to everybody the same way, not, you know, regardless of the context of your relationship. So that either comes off overly formal or it sounds strange, right? And this is why this is so this is such complicated work. You know, because it's so vast. So, you know, what I say to parents is we can't role play every, you know, the bazillions of combinations, yeah. right, of, of situations and when this skill would be used.
1: This is not an easy thing you're working on. No. (laughs) Parents often are concerned about their boy's social abilities. Either they're worried because their son is you know, with a group of friends that uh, they're frankly worried about influence, or they feel like their son is spending too much time alone, should be more social. Can you give us some guidelines for what is appropriate and what might be some signs that a boy could use additional support in this area?
0: Well, the first thing I think the caveat is I want to explain here, it's really, really difficult to find useful help in this, mm. in this area, unfortunately. And I want parents to understand that because the number one you know, email I get multiple times a day is, do you know somebody in, in my area who does what you do? And 95% of the time, the answer is, unfortunately, no. So to your question, I think one of the things is, you know, sometimes parents, I particularly find dads think that if kids are constantly on video games or in front of screens, they think that, well, that's normal, it's okay, because that's what all the kids do today. But the reality is kids still go outside and do stuff. I'm very lucky. I live in, in um, you know, a beach town, um, and there's, you know, kids outside all the time here riding their bikes around, you know, and kind of doing what kids have been doing, you know, for, forever. But I know a lot of people, they might not live in an area where that's possible. But I think one of the things, you know, to be aware of is that when kids say, you know, I have friends, they're on Xbox. Well, you know, those might be friends from school or they might be a stranger who they they never met, but they're calling a, a friend because they play a video game with them. But that being said, a lot of those online video game relationships really, you know, no different than a stranger. There's no kind of depth or emotional intimacy to the relationship because they're just talking about a game. There's no getting to know each other.
1: Sometimes they develop into something. If they connect on something and they end up talking deeper than the game. But a lot of times it doesn't. If it just stays surface level and, you know, I'm over here in this house, bring your, bring your tack gun, you know.
0: I'll tell you something interesting. To your point, I actually think that used to happen more frequently before some of these, you know, multiplayer games like Fortnite came along. I actually feel like that's happening less now, where, Hmm. where kids are developing these actual friendships through that start off online. I think it used to happen more.
1: I'll admit that I'm coming from the anecdote of one hearing my kid on the phone yesterday, actually talking with a friend that he met through another friend, playing Fortnite. This friend lives where the old friend used to live, and now they've connected on a lot of interests. So it happens, but that's an anecdote of one. I know it's not everything.
0: That's interesting because I think I've heard of one boy talking to another boy on the phone once in the past however many years. So I'm I'm thrilled to hear that. That's great. I think the other thing to your question is that sometimes difficult social anxiety is mistaken for difficulty with social skills. So I see a lot of guys who have social anxiety. Boys don't talk about social anxiety. They don't even have a language to talk about it. So one of the things that happens is it goes unnoticed. They tend to go to this online virtual world, right, where it's easier to interact. I think parents sometimes kind of become complacent and thinking, well, that's just what he likes. Or they think he struggles socially when really he doesn't struggle socially. He struggles with social anxiety. And they're two different things. Social anxiety and social learning challenges are completely separate.
1: So explain a little bit more about what social anxiety is and what parents might see versus problems with social skills and what that would look like. Social anxiety
0: at its core is, you know, it's a fear of being judged by others. That pretty
1: much describes my whole entire middle school and high school experience. Exactly,
0: right. So, you know, for boys, what it looks like is they might not want to invite a friend over because they're too scared of rejection or they're scared of talking at the lunch table because they're worried that, Other kids are going to like, you know, what we call do mind reading and think that, you know, they're going to think they're weird for what they said, but they don't really have any basis for that, you know. And that's different than social learning challenges, which is when you don't learn social information intuitively from a young age, you know. Okay. So what parents have to look for in terms of social anxiety is if your son tends to kind of isolate in terms of not wanting to invite other kids over, even when you make suggestions, if he's not reaching out to other kids, if he maybe gets upset when you ask him if he wants to invite somebody over, those kind of things.
1: Since that sounds like it is uh, relatively common, do you have ideas for how parents can help with Social anxiety, if you have a boy that is exhibiting some of those symptoms, you know, you don't want to put him on the defensive. You know, son, I fear you may have some social anxiety. That's not going to get you anywhere.
0: Well, two things. You know, one of the things we know about anxiety is the way you learn to move through anxiety is putting yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable and realizing that, while yes, your anxiety might get pretty high. It will also come down. And what tends to happen is, you know, a lot of well-meaning parents, when they have anxious kids or when they have socially anxious kids, they let them avoid social situations because it makes them anxious, right? So they accommodate their anxiety, which is exactly the opposite of what you should do. Here's the good news about this, though. Social anxiety is not difficult to treat. I've done training in what's called cognitive behavior therapy. That's what I use. And there's a good amount of people, you know, around the country and, you know, Canada and around the world who are trained in, in CBT who can address social anxiety. The one thing I will say is that kids have to be motivated to do the work because there's some homework involved in this.
1: Sure. Dealing with social anxiety is something on a small scale. Parents may be able to help their sons. It sounds like on their own, you know, that pushing through, it's okay to feel this discomfort. We can help you deal with this discomfort. That's, that's one level. And there is professional help available if you need it. Um, exactly. You, can, you can right. find a therapist who can help right. you address this issue. And one of the things I want
0: to—I always want to explain to parents—is, and I tell—I explain this to kids as well—that social anxiety, you know, tends to not just go away naturally, you know. Mm. So it's really something that needs to be dealt with.
1: That's not something you're just going to age out of, or it's no, a some thing. people do,
0: but not not it not as to the extent that they could really if they had okay. help. Yeah. Okay.
1: Now let's differentiate um, social anxiety. Let's talk about social learning challenges. So yeah. you said we're talking about kids who. You know, most of us, we sort of absorb these nuances of interaction organically. We're around other people, and we just sort of pick it up as we go along. It's not the case for all kids.
0: Correct. Right. So what we know is that individuals with some neurodevelopmental challenges, such as ADHD, Asperger syndrome, higher verbal autism nonverbal learning disability. They don't learn the social information intuitively. And then also there's some individuals with um, learning differences, particularly slow processing speed that can, you know, affect their development of of social skills. Um, But that's a little different in terms of learning differences. So really, right, what we have to do is we have to go back and teach these skills that haven't developed from a young age to Mm -hmm. the extent that they should have
1: hmm. So how do you do that? Let's say um, parents bring a boy to you and they explain, you know, here's where we're at here. Here are the issues that we've seen. Can you give us some examples of this in practice?
0: Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to mention is I always teach kids that, you know, there is nothing wrong with you. There are some things your brain makes harder to learn. You know, and I give them an example. I say, you know, my brain doesn't make sports easy for me to learn. My brain doesn't make math easy for me to learn. My brain makes, you know, making friends easy to learn. And if your brain makes other things easy for you to learn and and it makes it a little harder to maybe make friends or keep friends, that's okay because you can learn this stuff, but we have to work on it. Because Mm -hmm. I really want to normalize that, that there's nothing wrong with them and this is a learning issue. And one of the things I just want to mention with that real quick is a lot of times when kids struggle socially, parents take them to a mental health professional. And I want people to understand, you know, social learning challenges are exactly what they sound like. It's a learning issue. It's not a mental health issue.
1: That's a really important point. You know, uh, uh, on the one hand, yes, we need to break down and normalize mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. and all of that. But you need to find the appropriate help for what you're dealing with. And in this case, uh, mental health is not the issue. It's a learning issue.
0: Correct. So, what we really have to teach is we have to teach you how to think in a social context and then apply social skills that are relevant to the situation, to the context of the situation. So as I mentioned, kind of the foundation for this is perspective taking. So understanding other's thoughts and feelings, understanding how you come across to others. You know, a lot of kids with ADHD, for example, they talk at people about their interests, you know, Mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't have reciprocal conversations. Well, the reason why is because they're not thinking about the other person in the conversation and thinking about, you know, is he or she interested in what I'm saying right now? You know, they don't think about, am I showing them and am I showing an interest in them and in their interest? and what that stems from is from a lack of what we call self-directed talk which is an aspect really of what's called executive functioning.
2: This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. Babies need to eat. And
1: whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about ByHeart baby formula. ByHeart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melts Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try try dot easymelts, easy dot com forward slash on boys. So how do you help teach that? If you've got an ADHD kid or a kid with um, Asperger's, you know, highly verbal, and they've got this extreme interest, and they're so excited about it, and they just want to tell everybody about it.
0: Right. Well, there's different strategies that I use. But let me give you this one, because I find that people find this one entertaining. I have a thought bubble that's actually a dry erase board. We'll just have kind of an organic conversation. And if the kid starts talking at me about his interest, I write on my dry erase board that looks like a thought bubble. I write like as I'm sleeping or snoring and I write bored. or Josh isn't thinking about me right now. And I kind of want to get out of this conversation. And what I do is I hold it above my head without saying anything, right? I just keep the conversation going, but I'm holding the thought bubble above my head. And the reason for that is to say, when you're engaging in conversation with somebody, they're not going to tell you that they're bored necessarily. They're not going to tell you they want to get out of this conversation. So I'm showing you what my thought process is, even though I'm still talking to you.
1: You are literally making your thoughts visible. Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. that's, That's one of the ways. The other concept that I teach is, you know, what I call using your brain coach. So the idea that you have to talk to your brain For instance, so when you're around other kids, you have to be thinking about how do I get them to want to be around me right now by modifying my words or behavior so they feel good about being around me. So for example, you know, I see a lot of elementary school kids who try to control play and then other kids react negatively to them and don't want to play with them. And then they feel victimized.
1: I am only laughing because I wish I had run across you a (laughs) About 15 years ago,
0: (laughs) you're just my
1: oldest son to a T.
0: One of the things we have to teach is, you know, is flexibility in your thought process, but also thinking about others. So what I'll do is when kids come to see me, particularly in elementary school, we do a lot of play. So we'll go outside. Like, for instance, right now we're playing lawn darts. (laughs) Um, All right. and sometimes, you know, I'll change the rules up on them or I'll do or I'll not let them win or I'll let them play the way they want, but then I'll change it. And the I, and sometimes they complain about that. You know, I asked them I said, Are you thinking about my thoughts right now and what I want? Because if you're not, and if I was another guy in your grade, I might stop playing with you right now. Yeah. So it's really kind of this, you know, we'll call it in vivo teaching, right? Of of how to think about others with, you know, in real time.
1: Yeah. Given that what you do is not very available in other places, I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, are there some resources that you recommend? And then I also want to know some things that parents can be doing within their own homes to help reinforce social skills. So why don't we take tackle that one first? What are some things parents can be doing to reinforce and teach social skills, perspective taking.
0: Parents have to do what we call front-loading. So if you're going into a social situation with your son, you have to help him develop situational awareness, which is another big aspect of this. So what is the situation going to look like? You know, who are going to be the people there? And what are you expected to be doing based on the context of this, that situation? What are your emotions supposed to look like? Your energy level, so on, those kind of things. Now, here's
1: a, for instance, this time of year, a lot of families are having to take their boys and go to a graduation or a communion, baptism, confirmation, religious celebration. There's going to be family there you haven't seen in a long time. How would you advise parents prep their sons for those situations.
0: You want to make this as visual as possible, okay? Because this generation of kids learns visually. You know, what do they do when they want to learn something? They go on YouTube.
1: And also, if
0: they have social learning challenges, they have difficulty with what's called nonverbal working memory, or the ability to picture things in the future, most likely. Okay. So the more visual we can make this, the better. So I would say, we're going over, you know, this person's house. This is what it's going to look like. We're going to be outside. This is how many people are going to be there. This is how many kids are going to be there. How many adults. This is what you should look like. You're, you're expected to go up and say hi to this person and these people and shake their hand. They're going to ask you questions about school. You answer them and you smile, okay? And when you're done with that, then you can go play with the other kids. When you're playing with the other kids, right, here's what you need to be thinking about for, in terms of the other kids' thoughts and feelings so they want to play with you, you know, mm-hmm. or want to be around you. The other thing I will tell you about that is I am really big on teaching parents that when kids go into social situations, do not let them kind of hide behind their phones. You know, I see so much of that and it drives me insane.
1: Yeah. I really like what you said. I mean, it certainly takes time to do that front loading, right? But it's ultimately going to make the experience better for my kid and myself because if we cover that in advance, I'm not having in the moment to say, put your phone away and say hi to grandma because right. we've covered that. Yes. you may, Maybe after you've done all the greetings, then maybe you can go play Minecraft with the other kids on your phone if that's what what's going on. But say hi to people. Yes,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just at a confirmation this weekend. So yes, it's oh, yeah. okay. heavy on my mind right now. You know, kids so often come home and g- complain about playground situations or interactions with other kids in the classroom. As parents, We don't know what went on exactly. We never hear the other side. How can we support our son's social development? Yeah.
0: So, the number one thing I would say is to not try to micromanage their social interactions. You know, don't call the principal every time something happens, don't call the teacher. And the other thing, sometimes, you know, for a lot of kids, you can't necessarily take everything they say about social problems on a literal level because it might be their perception, you know, and if they have social learning challenges, their perception of social situations might be off to my point that I see so many kids who come home and say, you know, these kids were mean to me at recess, you know, and they wouldn't play with me. Well, they wouldn't play with you, right? Because you were bossing them around and you were yelling at them when they wouldn't do what you wanted to do, right? right. So I think what, what parents can, can really do is help develop social problem solving skills and the way we do that is create scaffolding so we say okay let's look at you know what what happened so your thoughts were that a b and c happened this is maybe what the other kids thoughts were about what happened all right and this is how you felt okay and it's understandable how you feel but let's figure out based on the context of the situation what you could do differently next time so the other kids will still want to be with you Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and really what we're teaching is accountability, right? We're teaching social accountability in terms of, you know, that if something's not going right for you socially, of course, it's not always your fault, but a lot of times you may need to adjust things or you need to learn how to manage different people in different situations or walk away from situations sometimes.
1: Because ultimately both on the playground and in adult life, you can't control how other people act in the right. end. You have to control yourself, your reaction. Correct. What could you do differently? Can you do differently?
0: Right. And one of the things I will tell you to your question is, one of the things I see a lot for kids in middle school is that if they haven't developed these skills when they were younger, when they have to start doing more group work, even in elementary school, it becomes problematic. And there is
1: a lot more group group work in in school now. Yes.
0: Yeah, and that's really challenging for a lot of kids. And one of the things I want parents to understand is all this group work is a
1: catalyst for how you're going to interact
0: eventually with your coworkers.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah what about resources? Parents that want to know more? Are there some places online that you recommend some books you recommend? Tell us about your website and offerings
0: Just you know always want to you know remind parents you need to be mom or you need to be dad you don 't need to be mom, dad, teacher, social skills coach, therapist, so on right? You need to be the most stable presence right in your child 's life and you need to be the one who loves them unconditionally. And when you start trying to take on these other roles sometimes, you know, it doesn't always work. Plus, if you haven't had training in this, I don't suggest trying to teach your child social skills, okay? And the
1: truth of the matter is, especially by the time they hit middle school, they're more likely to respond to somebody else than if mom or dad tells them the same exact thing.
0: Absolutely. The resources I can tell you about. Number one, the work that I'm really grounded in, which is called Social Thinking, um and the website socialthinking.com it's you know a treasure trove of of articles and really fantastic information and you know you can also follow them on social media so i think number one that's helpful um, i have a youtube channel called adhd dude where i post new videos every week and one of the things i'm starting to do a lot more is i'm starting to make videos for kids and it's a new series i'm calling dudes learn social love um, it yeah so i also have a facebook group um which is a great community of people. Um, and that's called the ADHD dude Facebook group. And again, I'm posting articles, I'm posting videos every week. Um, I actually just started a schedule. So, you know, it's different topics, different days for different age groups. Perfect. Um, and it's, it's a really engaged community and I love doing it. Um, so I encourage people to, to join that as well. And yeah, and I think those are kind of the, the best resources to kind of get more, you know, an understanding of this from kind of my perspective. So my, my thing I always say is, you know, I teach social skills to boys from a male perspective. That's my unique touch in, in this field.
1: I am totally going to take advantage of the fact that we have you on here right now. And I'm going to hit you up with a question. And uh, I'm really curious what your advice is. Janet, I know you're going to be over there laughing. Um, Janet has the flu today, so that's why you're not hearing her. But she's listening. So let's say that you have a 13-year-old boy um, who has been within the same peer group for kindergarten on. Most of these kids have gone to school together for kindergarten on. And let's say that you hear from the school that um, your 13-year-old son uh, kicked another 13-year-old in the nuts at school because uh, the precipitating incident here was that uh, the one that got kicked in the nuts was messing with the hat of another friend. The other friend had asked him numerous times to stop, and he didn't stop, so he asked the other kid, hey, can you help me out? The other kid said, hey, don't mess with his hat. Hey, don't mess with, you keep messing with his hat, I'm going to kick you in the nuts. And well, that's what happened. Um, The backstory is apparently that there's been a bit of a social rift between the kicker and the kicky for a while. The one mm-hmm. saying, I really don't want to hang out with you anymore. And the other one doesn't seem to get that according to what this one says. So
0: what do you do? Yeah. Okay. Well, number one, I, you know, something I want parents to understand is that around 11, so, you know, that would be fifth grade here in the U.S., you know, boys start to do this thing where they start to establish dominance. Who's going to be the group leader here? Who's kind of the strongest one? I don't mean physically strongest, but, you know, who can have the kind of the most dominant presence? And, and that's why, you know, we tend to see a lot of kids start to struggle socially around fifth grade, sixth grade. And that's why that's a big group that I work with. How I would handle that is, is to say, you know, we want to acknowledge that he was trying to be helpful and he was trying to stick up for his friend. Right. And that's a character trait we want to praise him for, because that's a good attribute to have. I would start off with that, with praising the positive and saying, I really respect that you were sticking up for your friend and that was showing him that you care about him. It shows him that you're a good friend and a loyal friend. Those are great qualities to have. Okay? And, you know, in doing that, you know, you are at an age now where, you know, you cannot be getting physical with people because that takes it to a different level. Mm. When you were little and like that would happen, it's different. But at this age, you can't be getting physical with, with anyone. So let's figure out what would have been a better way to kind of stop that from getting physical and what you could have done, you know, to try to help your friend without getting to that level where you could wind up getting in trouble and you also hurt somebody.
1: You know, a question that comes up so often in in my Facebook group, I have a Building Boys Facebook group, Dan has Boys Alive, you know, when and how to discipline. So certainly when you get the call that your kid kicked another kid in the nuts, you're like, I need to do something about this. Is this a situation where talking this through is sufficient? Or in your opinion, should there be some consequences? Because, you know, obviously none of us want our kids to go around kicking other people anywhere.
0: Here's what I always tell parents. I say, I think consequences are warranted a lot because there's consequences in life for our actions, right? Mm -hmm. And or for our words. But the question is, is there a learning piece that goes along with that? In this situation, I'm not sure how, you know, taking away Xbox or whatever it might be might help to reinforce a lesson. But what I would say is what needs to happen is that as part of learning to accept responsibility for his actions, that he needs to apologize to the kid. In person, not because he's being forced to, but it's something he does on his own. So what I would say is, and this is what I've done with my own son. I, I you know, I've said when he's when he's done things, I said you need to go up and apologize to him or her, okay? And I expect that to happen, and I'm going to check to see if it happened. You know, because this is when, when you do something hurtful to somebody, you have to make up for it. And, you mm-hmm. know, one of the things I say to him, you know, part of, you know, becoming a man is, is learning to accept responsibility for your words and your behavior, but also admitting when you're wrong. And that doesn't make you weak. It actually makes you a stronger person.
1: I love that you just drew in your own experience too, because so often it's easy to think that everybody else, especially the experts are doing this right. Right. <laughs> Frankly, a lot of us got into this because of our own struggles, because we've learned things, uh, you know, and even if you know everything, we all make choices sometimes. This stuff is hard to learn. Your son is not a perfect person. You're not a perfect person. And yeah, okay, the 13-year-old who kicked the other kid in in the nuts, that was my kid. So surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: right. right.
1: And I will tell you so
0: much, I think for myself of, of what I've learned is from doing things not in a good way when my son was, was younger. You know, I took my, my son was very, very challenging when he was younger. And I took this, I think, very kind of typical male approach of, you know, you're not going to be in control here. I'm the alpha male here. Right. And, and, you know, and that didn't work because right at the end of the day, he didn't have the skills to know how to handle things better. You know, and me getting upset and me getting angry and and me kind of taking this authoritative approach all the time wasn't what he needed. So, so much of what I speak about, yeah, comes from, you know, my my many, many (laughs) billions of mistakes I made as a parent, you know, and learning experiences
1: that came from them. Ryan, what is your website? How can people find you if they want to contact you for additional information?
0: Yeah. So my, my website is adhddude.com Um, and that's where my online uh, courses will be uh, located and also my, um, online coaching. So I work with parents and I also work with kids, you know, around social. Um, I really do it for like ages 11 and up because I find kids younger than that. I, you know, it doesn't work so well. Plus I want to be able to play with those younger guys as well in person. Yeah. Uh, so I do that. And then, yeah, my private practice um, and my camp, which is um, based out of Linwood, New Jersey, is uh, ride the wave counseling.com.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah.
0: And summertripcamp.com.
1: <laughs> ride the wave. Got it. Yeah. Ryan, final words of encouragement for parents of boys.
0: Yeah. You know, something that always comes to mind to me is I think it is so easy for parents today to feel unsure about themselves. And what kind of perpetuates that, you know, to be honest, I think is a lot of going online and trying to solicit, you know, opinions from different people and getting 50 different opinions from people who really may not know you or know your son, you know, and just want to share their, their own opinion, but they state it as facts. And I, what I tell parents all the time is I say, you know, please trust your instinct. If you feel right about something, you know, you don't need to ask 500 people. You know, ask one or two people, you know. Um, and really the other thing I, I want to just tell parents is, you know, I think we, we tend to have this propensity to kind of look back and say the way we were parented was so bad, you know, because a lot of us had like a lot more freedom than, than kids do today. Um, And, you know, my thing is that it really wasn't that bad. And what we're finding is, you know, that the more kids are overscheduled, the more kids are micromanaged and helicoptered, you know, it's not good for their development. It inhibits their development of resiliency. It inhibits their development of executive functioning, you know, and it can inhibit their social development as well.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. One of the things I love about doing this show is that we connect people to people who have insights and um, knowledge to share. And I really, personally, as a parent, feel like you have shared a perspective with me that's going to help me in my parenting. And I hope that's true for many of our listeners as well.
0: Thank you. And I'm so happy to be here and to be asked to do this. And it was really exciting for me. So thank you both for this opportunity.
1: Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, And we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.